Okay, Colossians chapter 1, we're getting there. 4, 7, we're going to start in verse 7. Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Kaikos will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instruction, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on you on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you, and for those in Laodicea and Hyperbolus. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, also Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church at her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received from the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father God, for peeling back time and letting us see what takes place in faithful ministry, Father God, Paul's faithful companions. Thank you for allowing us to see just all the hard work it takes when it comes to one soul being saved. Let us always, always remember that not one soul was ever saved conveniently. That convenience and comfort Do not come with the gospel, Father God. That from day one, upon our salvation, Father God, we are brought into a family that fights to survive in this world, Father God. A message that the world hates to hear, Father God. Truth, Father God, absolute truth that represents you, your hold, your word above, your name in a world and a land of people who hate it. God, remind us and encourage us and strengthen us, Father God, to truly be faithful ministers and faithful companions of Jesus Christ. In his name I pray. Amen. Amen. When we come to the closing of this letter, uh, it has in it greetings from believers who haven't seen each other in a while. And... uh, uh, greeting one another from a distance. There's a letter going back and forth, and they're going to take advantage of it and, and, and send their greetings to long friends they haven't seen in quite a while. It also has hope for future work for the kingdom of God. It has gratitude for work done already, and admonishment for work that is still not complete, along with Paul's tactful reminder of his imprisonment. 
But if we weren't careful when reading this in our own personal private devotions uh, at home, we could just breeze through these verses and sort of just get to the end so we can write it off the religious list and say, oh, I read Corinthians or I read uh, uh, Colossians. You know, we sort of breeze through it. We, we stumble through the names, hard, have a hard time uh, pronouncing them. And, but we finished and we really miss the magnificence of this final greeting. It's magnificent. We sort of want to get through the, the, the nuts and the bolts of uh, the meat of the theology in the first two chapters. And we want to see how it's applied in our life in chapter 3. And then we want to see how we apply it in our life, in our prayer life, and in, into the life of outsiders, Paul says. And then we get here and we say, what does this have to do with me? Well, it might not have much to do with us, per se, until we get behind it. And I want you to know, it's probably one of the most challenging portions of the whole letter to the Christian, especially to a 21st century Christian. This letter, this portion will challenge us now in convenience and the comforts that we live in. But we have an important behind-the-scenes look here into New Testament ministry of 2,000 years ago. And we can't miss this over here. This is behind-the-scenes ministry. This is the boiler room of ministry. This is the, the back room. This is where all the grunt work is done for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. This is what makes any ministry, any church, functional and effectual. But you might not see it in this greeting. You might see Paul just saying thank you and thank you and thank that person when you see them. And when you go to Nympher and just that small church house, uh, that small house church that looks insignificant, when you get there, let them know I care for them. Let them know I greet them. Let them know I'm concerned for them. Let them know I'm praying for them. Let them know they're doing a great work, that you're doing a great work for God. I've chosen to look at this section, like many of the other chapters, thematically. And in this way, we can reconstruct what was taking place. What was going on in the heart of the apostle as he wrote this letter in his own greeting in chains and in imprisonment. And and, and then this little end of the whole letter, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hands. Remember my chains. So there must have been something kind of skewed about the writing. Probably didn't write that well with his letters, it's just a tactful way of reminding that I'm a, I'm a prisoner of Christ. I'm a prisoner of Christ. But first, let me give you some comments on the closing of the letter. Paul, after defending the Christian faith that the Colossians believed because of the threat that crept into the church, a threat that tried to pull these believers into some fanciful way of pleasing God through strange teachings and practices and practices. Paul this Paul did this by elevating the supremacy of Christ above all things, both the supremacy of his person, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him, he's almighty God, and the work he did at the cross, your sins are covered by his blood. They're complete in Christ. This church could joyfully go about their business safe and secure, that they're forgiven in Jesus, and that Jesus is their head, and that nothing can come against them. Satan, demon, bad teaching, nothing could ever separate from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus. 
Even in spite of their ongoing fights against sinful temptations that they have, you have, I have, we all have, known here in chapter 3 as the indulgences of the flesh. He closes along with some pastoral wisdom on life within the local church. That's chapter 3. And a call to continue prayer and living wisely to outsiders in chapter 4. Paul now closes his letter with warmth and thanksgiving, acknowledging those who have labored to make Jesus and to make his kingdom possible in the lives of other people. He's thanking them. He actually says, they have given me much comfort. What do you give a man who's basically about to die, who's in prison, and he can't even write his own letter because his hands are in shackles? What can you do for a man that seems to have nothing at all? What do you give him? What do you tell a man that has nothing? He's given whole life for the gospel. And here he is with nothing. But he can say, these men have comforted my hearts. Because they're faithful to the gospel. That's what you give an apostle. The same thing you give God. Faithfulness. Nothing can warm the heart of someone coming to the end of their life. Than to hear the sweet sound of someone else's faithfulness to the gospel message. Nothing. You know, Paul, if you want, we can break you free and and give you some hotel time and we'll make your life a little more comfortable. No, that wasn't the comfort the apostle was looking for. He just wanted to hear that people were sharing the faith and laying down their life for other people. That's what comforted Paul's heart. And he closed with a reminder of his chains, a reminder that gospel life is not easy. There's four things I want to highlight in these verses. Uh, they're biblical, but we see them in this text. I want to bring out the beauty of this. There's a lot more I want you to know, but I'm only bringing these four things out for uh, the power that lies behind these themes. If we don't look behind the scenes, we'll miss it. The first thing we need to know is that Paul is acknowledging that this whole kingdom work, all ministry work, all the advancement of the gospel, all the elevating of Jesus Christ and his name amongst the pagan world is a group effort. Paul mentions ten people in these few short verses, showing us how much goes into effective ministry. That it's not a one-man job. It was never a one-man job. Actually, it is a one-man job. Did you know it's a one-man job? The kingdom of God, or the government of God, is on the Son of God's shoulders, period. He's the one that makes it all work. You can have a thousand of us, ten thousand of us, a hundred thousand of us. But we're still nothing without the one man, Jesus Christ. Period. That is it. That's what makes it all Possible, but since Christ, this is not a one-man job. One, a one-man job. This is a group effort. Many hands are needed. All hands on board is what Paul is saying. Ministry work is hard. It's long hours. It's little pay, if any. Uh, with the added dimension of just hardship everywhere. That's all. Just hardship. 
Jesus said, pick up your cross, not your couch, and come follow me. Pick up your cross. But we try to take the cross and make it like a nice little tire tube, you know, and just get dragged off into life, making life easy. But it's not. We can't miss what's being said here. This faithfulness that he's pointing to, and that's what Paul is pointing to. To have been associated with Jesus was without a doubt to bring hardship from outsiders. But listen... But to be associated with Paul was without doubt to bring hardship and toil into your life. Paul was a wanted man. He was wanted. He had a price on his head. Listen to Acts 19. Starting in verse 23. Let me just pull it up here. Acts 19. Are we there? I'm not. Okay. Starting in 23. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. That's Christianity. That's how it was known. It was called the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with workmen in a symbol of trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all Asia, that's where the letter went to, Carlos was in all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made without hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that his, this trade of ours may come to, into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be dis- deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged, enraged, and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristocardus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. You see, to follow Paul was to create trouble, to get into trouble, to be dragged off and to be beaten. This is the backdrop of the letter he's writing. Yet there were those who counted it a blessing to suffer for Christ and his apostle. They didn't stop at anything. That's why it brought Paul such great comfort. You couldn't stop these men, you couldn't stop these women from laying down their lives for Christ. What faithfulness. This is the kind of companions... Paul needed. This is the kind of companions Jesus needed. This is the kind of companions all ministers need. Hardships cannot get in the way. Hardships cannot stop us. All New Testament ministry is hard. It's never convenient. It's never easy. It's always tough. It's always challenging. Always. But there's also something here too in in these numbers. 
there's also a great diversity that we might miss. Something only the gospel can really do. Bring people from all different ethnicities and socioeconomic backgrounds and uh, educational backgrounds and, and bring them together for the common good of the gospel. Nothing else can do that. Politics and politicians today are trying to make the melting pot of America work. Trying to bring equality. Trying to bring peace. Trying to bring tranquility amongst different people. It's a good and it's a noble effort. But only the gospel can do it. Ultimately, only the gospel can do it. And we see it here. We see this great diversity, as Paul says, uh, these are the, those are the only ones of the circumcision party concerning some of the Jews that he mentioned out of the ten people. He speaks about Epaphras, who is one of your own. It's a team effort, Jew and Gentile. He also speaks about a man named Onesimus. He's a slave boy. He was a slave, a runaway slave. And next to him is a man called Luke. He was a physician. These people should have nothing in common at all. But yet, they have everything in common at the same time. They couldn't be more spread apart. The Jew, the Gentile, the slave, and the physician. The physician was an old man now. He was a companion of Paul. Luke had to be in his 60s. Anisibus was a young man. But they weren't worried about diversity in age groups. They, they labored together. Jew, Gentile, black, white, young, old, makes no difference. The gospel shatters all ethnicity, age groups, diversities. It shatters it and then brings it all back together to work in harmony. That's what Jesus does. Only the gospel can do this. The next truth flows naturally from this. All these titles used. He says, one's a beloved brother, someone's a faithful minister, someone else is a fellow prisoner, another one's a faithful and beloved brother, someone else he calls a fellow worker, and there's another one called the servant of Jesus Christ. These titles aren't honorary titles that you just give to somebody because they tried hard. They were characteristics of who they were as Christians. They were given these titles because they deserved it. You see, these Christians had skin in the game. They walked the extra mile. They know what it is to suffer sweetly in the service of Christ. Prolonged periods of time they served God. In the good times of Paul's ministry and in the terrible times of Paul's ministry. There was no more man up and down on the ministry scale than Paul was. He was either doing revivals with great outpouring of signs and wonders or he was going to jail. He was one or the other. And no matter where he went, they still followed him and ministered to him. They were truly beloved brothers. They were faithful ministers, fellow prisoners, faithful and beloved brothers, fellow workers, but most of all, they were servants of Jesus Christ. Their life reflected their love 
for Christ. Their service in the hard times reflected their love for Christ. I want to look at two men that had skin in the game. The text talks about. The first one is Aristocratus. Hopefully I'm pronouncing his name not too bad. He says he's my fellow prisoner. Do you know we read his name already? In Acts 19, remember the riot? And they dragged two Christians away. One name was Gaius. He was the other man. Guess where he is again? He's in jail again. He's a faithful what? He's a faithful servant. He's a faithful minister. This is the kind of companionship Paul needed. People, when it got going, the going got tough, they were still in there. No matter how many times they were imprisoned. He didn't call it quits because it was hard. There was no promise of ease under Paul's ministry. Listen to what 2 Corinthians says, chapter 6. Starting in verse 3. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. What he's saying is, take a look at, my, take a look at our lives. By great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, Beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. Would you sign up to follow that minister? Would you fill out a resume for, to, to get under this man's ministry? He goes on, even though the worst or the worst, he says, but yet by purity, knowledge, and patience, and kindness, even though they beat us, we were still kind. And the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, by truthful speech that put us in jail, and by the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness in the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we were treated as impostors and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful it always rejoicing, as poor yet making everyone rich. This man followed Paul and quietly went around his business. Didn't look for a new position in the body of Christ. Didn't try to run away and say, you know something, I'm not going to follow this Paul anymore. It's, getting, it's going from bad to worse over here. This is faithful ministry. This is what, this is, this is what put a great impact on Paul's heart. So when he's writing the greetings with his hands in chains, and he's saying, I'm writing with my hands in prison, he has these men and he has these people in his heart. He knows all the hard, trying times that they remain faithful to the cause. Nothing stopped them. We have another man here. To Kaikos. It might not mean nothing, but he was a runner. You know what a runner is? A runner is someone who's, when you're on the front lines, at least in warfare, warfare of years ago, and you had to get news to the back line, someone had to run through the minefield to get from point A to... That's right. That's what this man was. 
Listen to 2 Timothy 4.12. To Kaikos I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left in Carpus at Tros, also the books, and above all the parchments. And he reminds everyone, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Listen to Titus 3.12. When I send Artemis, Utaikakos, to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. We find him in another letter, Ephesians, starting in Ephesians 21. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing to Kakos, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Now you think about this. Paul is in Rome, and he's sending this man to Collis, you know how far that was? 1,100 miles on foot. This wasn't here as an airplane ticket. Go down to JetBlue. We got a first class ticket for you. Do me a favor. Go and encourage someone's heart. This was nothing but take your life and your limbs, put them in harm's way, but whatever you do, get to the church that looks like it might be demolished, get in there and encourage their hearts with this letter I'm writing with my own hands and chains. Make sure they hear the truth they need to hear. Satan is roaming around like a roaring lion and they need to be encouraged. I'm sending you like I sent you on missions before because you're faithful and I know like when I sent you when you were in Ephesus, when you were in Titus, and I sent you to Crete. I know you can do this long journey. You'll get there. You'll get the letter to them. You'll encourage your hearts, and you will accomplish the mission. Amen. This man traveled the whole ancient world for Paul. The whole ancient world. There's no reluctant spirit in him like, oh, well... Uh, let me see, I don't know, possibly, uh, let me think about it, let me pray about it, let me fast about it, uh, let, me, let me check with everybody if it's okay. Paul just looked and said, no, I'll go, Paul, don't say another word, send me, I'll go. That's why he can be called a faithful brother and a faithful minister. That's why he encouraged Paul's heart. That's why they all encouraged Paul's heart. It wasn't like, you know, Paul, you, 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 you know, you, you're not doing too well. You're in jail. You're not getting out. I think I'm going to call it quits. I'm going to put in my paper now, give you my notice. I'm retiring. My 4012 is doing very well now, and uh, I'm, I'm eligible for Social Security. And I'm going to kick back, and I'm going to relax now, uh, you know. I think the heyday of your ministry is over, Paul. I haven't seen a miracle in a while. No dead people being raised. The fanfare is over. No one really cares about you. Your ministry is dying. I'm out of here. No. Not at all. Faithful to the end. Compare that to what America produces today. Compare that to the American Christian that does everything, how convenient it is, how comfortable it is, the path 
of least resistance. It's got to be a certain time for service, a certain way of service, a certain way of helping, a certain way of this. It has to make sure it fits into a time frame, an ease frame, of this frame, of this frame of mind, this dynamic, that dynamic. It, the truth doesn't even matter anymore. As long as it's convenient and it looks good, I'm in. Sign me up. Sign me up. It's an epidemic. An absolute epidemic. When you look at these verses, these 11 verses, you think there's not much there. But when you you really understand what Paul was saying, that these men have comforted my heart, now you know. This is what comforted this heart. Faithfulness to Christ in all circumstances. Me and my wife were having lunch with a brother one day. And we spoke to him about a minute, doing some ministry opportunity within the church. He's told me this. He goes, I'm not a leader. But I'm a good soldier. And I know how to follow orders. That's all he said. That's the kind of stuff that comforts the minister's heart. That I, you don't have to say another word. Basically what he's saying, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And since that conversation over lunch, on more than one occasion I've asked, and he never said anything, but yes, count on me. That's what warms the minister's heart. Faithful to, faithfulness to Christ. It wasn't easy. It's not supposed to be easy. Picking up your cross and following Christ is not supposed to be convenient. God causes us, calls us to suffer with Christ. Christ suffered to purchase the church. You and I are called to suffer to encourage the church. We are called to encourage the Pauls of our life. We are called to walk side by side with people that looks like they're struggling in life. To encourage them, to bring them good news from a far country. To bring word, Paul says... Go to Carlos and bring word of how we're doing. Let them know that though I'm in jail, the gospel is alive and the church is thriving. That's an important message. There's someone else here. Archippus. He represents gifting and calling. But this man had a reluctant spirit. Paul had to remind him, remind him to fulfill his ministry. Remind him, he's called by Christ. He's gifted by Christ to be an encourager and a strengthener of Christ's church. You know something? We all have enough of this man in us. I wish I could tell you I was as good as the other two gentlemen. Sometimes I labor in between the two. Sometimes I have to remember, fulfill the ministry Christ has given you. Sometimes we're running and nothing can ever stop us. We can jump over a wall. We can leap tall buildings in a single bound. We can outrun the trains. We feel like Superman. And other times we're just downright discouraged and beaten up. And we need to be reminded to fulfill 
the ministry. The church is filled with people who are gifted, who have talents, but just are not fulfilling any ministry whatsoever. The church is filled with gifts and talents. As soon as you are saved, I can go beyond that. Even before you're saved, God has gifted you for the kingdom of God. Before Paul built the church, he built tents. Before Peter was a fisherman, he fished. God redeems the qualities we have in the world. And when we come into the church, he uses the gifts and the talents with zeal and with passion by the Holy Spirit to breathe life into his people. Before I ever preached the message, I taught men how to fight. I was a karate instructor. That's what I did with passion. I did it with zeal. But when the call of God came on my life, I put up the gloves and I picked up the Bible. And I preach and I teach men and women how to live for Christ in this rotten, sin-filled world. That's the call of my life. Isn't it nice to know that God always reminds and encourages us? Paul didn't beat this man down. Paul just said, remind him to fulfill the ministry Christ has given him. I want to close with some remarks. How far would we go to encourage, just encourage someone's heart. How far? There's nothing in it for you, remember this. Nothing at all. There's no fanfare. A long, dusty road. You have to pay your own way. There's no party at the other side. It's lonely. It's hard. But Christ calls us to go encourage people. Would, would you do it? Would you travel the long mile? When's the last time you were inconvenienced in your Christian life? To help someone. To encourage someone. Do you and do I allow ourselves to be inconvenienced? Do you and I allow ourselves to be challenged? Do you and I allow ourselves to say, Christ, I'm not looking for comfort, I'm looking for the cross. Could we make it on anybody's list? Would your name and my name be on someone else's list? If, if someone was writing a list about the ministry... Would our name make it on there? Would we be called and characterized by slaves of Christ? Or a fellow prisoner of Christ? Or a beloved servant? Or faithful? Would we make the list? How does Christ see us? Does Christ see us as faithful? Does he see us as bond slaves? Does he see us as beloved brothers? Does he see us as a caring, compassionate community? 
who really do don't mind having their lives inconvenienced? Or have we fall under the opiate of American Christianity that's constantly looking for ease and comfort? Give it to me, but give it to me easy. Slap me, but slap me kindly. I want to pick up the rubber cross for Christ and and carry it nowhere. Give me the weightless cross. Give me the church where everybody's perfect. Give me people that don't need help. Do whatever you do, don't give me a needy Christian. Whatever you do, don't give me a needy, I need help Christian. And whatever you do, don't put me in a ministry that looks like the Apostle Paul's. Now you know why Paul can write. These men have comforted my heart. Father, only by grace we could ever make it on a list. And the reason we want to make it on a list is because you've given us the Spirit. You've gifted all of us to fulfill the ministry you've called us, God, all of us. There's not a person in this room or the hearing of my voice that has not been gifted as Peter teaches us. God has gifted all of us for the sake of building up the kingdom of God. Father, I just pray that you just breathe upon us a new start. That we don't fall under the opiate of American Christianity, of comfort and ease, Father God, but that we have this sweet fellowship of suffering with Christ. And we don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing, but we just have a willing spirit. Here I am, Lord. Send me. God, raise us up, Father God. Break the horrible yoke of the status quo. God, forgive us. Forgive us for convenient, comfortable little lives, Father God. And not trusting in you, God. All of us, help us, God. Strengthen us, Father God. Help us to break free, Father God, from those things that... Draw us away from serving you faithfully, faithfully, with everything we have, with zeal for the Lord, God. Forgive us to the idols that come in and just say, take it easy, kick back, you're saved, you're born again. Your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. Let someone else do it. Take it easy. Forgive us of this idolatrous behavior, Father God, this just this worldly view, Father God, of the cross and of Christianity. Help us, I ask, Father God. Set us free, God, that we can serve you with an undivided heart, Father God. An undivided heart. I'm going to take a moment now. And just with all eyes closed. Do you want to have that sense that you know that you know that you know you're just totally committed to Christ. I'm talking to Christians. I'm not talking to unsaved. Is it time to follow Christ? Is it time to give your time, your effort, your energies to Christ? Are we going to die with a reluctant spirit? Are we going to be zealous for the Lord? Are we looking for ease 
You're not going to find it at the cross. True fulfillment is what Jesus said. If you want to gain your life in this world, you have to lose it. Are you willing to come follow Christ and die? That's what Christ is asking us. Just relax and stay in a a posture of humility. It's a serious question I think God is asking us. With all eyes closed, who wants to make a fresh start in service to Christ? Raise your hand. A fresh start, a real fresh start. A fresh start. Then please, let, let's stand up and pray. Let's take a moment. Stand up, let's pray. John, I'm just going to break the order of service here. And let's, let's ask God, because it's, it's God that does it. Listen, we, we have our good intentions, but we need the Holy Spirit's ministry. This is all done by the Holy Spirit. So please, just take a moment. Father, we just want to recommit our lives to you, God. You know all the hands here. You know all the hearts that will move, Father God. You know, Father God, we want to know, we want to taste, and most of us have tasted the sweetness of following you and serving you, Father God. But Father, forgive us of our sins of walking back and and looking for ease and looking for comfort, Father God, and trying to feather our own bed before we we built the house of the Lord, before we encouraged the hearts of people, Father God, before we traveled and traveled and traveled, Father God, with no fanfare, what all, but just hard work and sweat, Father God, to serve you, Father God. Teach us to serve you by serving one another, Father God. Help us. Break us free, Father God, from the status quo. Break us free from our mindset. Break us free, Father God, from the things that shackle us, Father God, the things that we don't, we're not worthy enough for, or why bother? Forgive us of this idolatrous thinking, Father God. Why bother? Forgive us, Father God. It all matters to you, Lord. One person has three fish, another one has five loaves, but you can do mighty works with what little we give you, Lord. God, breathe life into this church, I ask. Breathe life of work. Be zealous for good works, Lord God. Help us to pool all our gifts and our talents for the furtherance of your kingdom, Father God. Break the chains that shackle us, Father God, of indifference. Forgive us, Father God. And thank you. Saints, with your eyes closed, I want you to listen to what God is saying now. He's simply saying this now. Go and fulfill the ministry I've given to you already. It's yours. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Before we even become to Christ, God has gifted us. So please, please, bring it to the Holy Spirit now. Take a moment. Reflect. What is it that you know God is calling you to do? What is it that God is giving you to do, but you haven't run with it? Father, you see our hearts. I thank you for your saints, Father God. I thank you for your kindness that will remind us again, not beat us down, but just simply remind us 
fulfill the ministry. Just like you told Timothy, Timothy, fan into flame the spirit that God has given you. Timothy, fulfill the ministry of an evangelist. Fan into flame the Holy Spirit within you. Stir yourself up. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for not condemning us, but just encouraging us. You're awesome. You're kind. You're wonderful. God, let it be a fresh new start in the hearts of your people and in this church, I ask, in Christ's precious name. Amen. Amen.